from India's largest newsroom I'm Arun George and this is the Times of India podcast So so honestly you know I can't understand why there should be a delay the government took an an enormous step uh in military reforms by appointing the cds we know there was you know sort of resistance to this appointment since a very long time uh, but the government sort of bit the bullet and said yeah we will appoint the cds uh, they appointed a you know a dma a department of military affairs which gave a lot of authority to the military to manage its own affairs uh general rawat uh, you know was tasked with undertaking some crucial military reforms uh, and frankly he was going about it in a fairly sort of strong manner that you know this is something that needs to be done uh, unfortunately you know he passed away in a in an accident but that doesn't mean that you know we don't need to move on from here i am frankly baffled at uh, as to why a new chief of defense staff has not been appointed who can take this process forward It's been nearly 6 months since the death of India's first chief of defense staff General Bipin Rawat. Since his death in a tragic helicopter crash, the Indian government hasn't appointed a replacement. In today's episode, we're speaking with retired Lieutenant General DS Huda and the Times of India's defense editor Rajat Pandit to understand why that appointment is very important presently. They also explain the much needed reforms that are on ice due to the delay. Rajat you recently wrote this column about why we need a new chief of defense staff uh, do we know why india's not appointed a new chief of defense staff here uh no actually we don't that the government has been giving uh, over the last 5 months since general bipin rawat died mixed signals whether uh, the new cds will be from the serving officers the senior serving officers or whether even a retired recently retired military chief would be considered for it but yeah overall this does not augur well for the far reaching defense reforms or restructuring of the 15 lakh uh, armed forces which was set in motion with the appointment of the first ever cds on december 31st 2019 as of now all the three services have their own integrated perspective plans of what they want over the next 15 10 15 years but because of the next cds not being appointed for the last 5 months all these things have slowed down the cds was a tri service chief over the army navy and air force chiefs a post like that is required to settle the differences between the three services which often pull in different directions in terms of policy in terms of procurements in terms of operations when you say that uh, the three forces kind of pull in different directions with requirements could you explain an instance where this has happened in the recent past there's been a bitter turf war between the air force and the army over something like the attack helicopters both the army and the air force were fighting who should get them so ultimately uh, the air force got them after a bitter tough war then the government said okay the army will also get 
some of them. There are competing demands from the three services who, and there's a limited budget uh, available. You know, in a poor country like India, there are a lot of competing demands from other sectors. The defense budget will not dramatically go up in the coming years. It just about caters for inflation. We need a CDS to carry out inter-service prioritization of the limited budget. That which particular capability, is it submarines or is it an aircraft carrier which is needed in the short term? The prime task for a CDS would, uh, it flows from this, would be to build an integrated warfighting machinery, land, sea, air operations, because that is the future. No service can operate or fight on its own. It needs integrated structures. Sadly, in India, we have 17 single service commands. Seven uh, in the Army, seven in the Air Force, and three in the Navy. They, all of them pull in different directions. Just to give you an example, the Eastern Air Command is located in Shillong. The Eastern Army Command is located in Calcutta. The Eastern Naval Command is located in Vizak. So you can see the disparity which exists. One question would be also, why can't this happen without a CDS? Can't, say, the three service chiefs just sit and sort of hash it out? Oh, no, they cannot. They're always tough force. Even, even in the US, it has to be politically imposed from the top. We need a CDS who's politically, who's empowered and backed by politicians. Nobody wants to give up their own turfs or their kingdoms. The Army, Navy, Air Force, everybody is keen to retain their own control over their own service. So that is why a CDS is needed who can decide on what are the immediate short-term, medium-term and long-term priorities. As of now, there's a Chiefs of Staff Committee which has the Army, Navy and Air Force Chiefs in it. But if you recall, the entire CDS question gained traction after the Kargil War because the Army and the Air Force disagreed publicly also on how to conduct operations. The group of ministers report in 2001, which went, uh, which went into reforming the national security of the country, it said that the Chiefs of Staff Committee had failed to give us single-point military advice. This is again where the CDS steps in, for single-point military advice to the political leadership. You can't have the three service chiefs giving different advice that we should do this or we should not do this, which happened during the Kargil War. Lieutenant General Huda, who was in charge of the Indian Army's Northern Command, says it's natural for the three armed forces to have different priorities. And that's why a Chief of Defence Staff is best placed to implement reforms across services. I think it's natural. So every organisation sort of would like to protect its staff. Uh, you have a service chief uh, who for 40 years has served in a particular environment and would obviously like to see that service sort of grow understands that service more than the more than the others 
So while you do have a chairman chiefs of staff as one of the equals among the three services, I don't think he had the ability to be able to uh, push many decisions. And so you had this, uh, you had this uh, thinking in sort of individual stovepipes where every service was wanting to, and in their way, they were right, to enhance their own capability. So all three services would go to the Ministry of Defense and say, this is what our requirement is, and they would go individually. So there was no integrated capability development plan. The CDS was there to sort of oversee all this. And in some cases, make sort of choices about whether service A needs this kind of equipment or the service B needs some other kind of equipment that today might be, you know, sort of priority. The retired army official says that reform can take place in the absence of a chief of defense staff. But that comes with different risks. There is an argument that uh, reforms are politically driven. I mean, it, they have to be driven from the top. And therefore, even in the absence of a CDS, these reforms could still take place. Uh, but, you know, in my personal view, professional military advice is essential. If you are going to push through military reforms uh, without uh, good professional understanding, I'm not sure we are going to get the best results. Rajat Pandit says there are a variety of issues that the Indian Defence Forces face presently and they're nowhere close to being resolved. We might be the third largest military spender in the world after the US and China, which of course, US has 10 times the budget and China four times the budget. Of course, they are big countries, uh, much more economically well-off than India. But uh, our budget annual defense budget is around $70 billion, which is around 5.2 lakh crores. Out of that, almost half goes into revenue expenditure. That is salaries and day-to-day -day operating costs. One-fourth goes into pensions. Only one-fourth is left for modernization. The problem in India is that our defense industrial base is very poor. Though it has gone up in recent years, it is becoming stronger, but the private sector needs to be involved in a major way because then only can we build cutting-edge military technologies. Till about 20 years ago, defense production was the preserve of defense PSQs and the ordnance factories, who have by and large failed to deliver. There has to be concrete reforms. Policies have to be well thought out. I did an article on uh, how the strategic partnership policy of the government, which was notified this month in May 2017, the long-term aim was to build partnerships between foreign original equipment manufacturers and Indian domestic companies. Unfortunately, not a single project has even reached the contract signing stage. 
the project which was identified to be the first strategic partnership project was about building six new generation submarines stealth submarines for india the project has been hanging fire for almost two decades now and with strategic partnership it was thought that it will take off uh, soon but it five years down the line it hasn't taken off and let me tell you once the contract is signed it will take another decade for the first submarine to roll out what is the challenge with sort of reducing the force size of india's defense forces what prevents the indian army navy and air force from say cutting back on how many people they recruit say see there are two sides to this there is of course need for boots on the ground because we have long unresolved uh, borders with both china and pakistan so there will always be a need for boots on the ground as of now the indian armed forces especially the indian army is manpower intensive it has to become technology intensive so that manpower can be reduced uh the salary and the pension bills as of now leave little for military modernization there is a need to slash the non operational flap to right size the armed forces by uh you know reducing the manpower and getting cutting edge military technologies like For, uh, to give you an example it's impossible to man the huge border with china it's 3488 kilometers stretching from eastern ladakh to arunachal pradesh you can't have soldiers guarding every inch of it but we try to if there were satellites there were radars there were long range surveillance systems of course a lot of them are there but if there were more you could keep tabs on the border through these surveillance devices that would automatically reduce the need for having you know thousands or lakhs of soldiers deployed on the borders one of the means of kind of reducing this defense force size would also be something like the short service commission um mm. and you've written about how there were reforms planned for it and yet they've gone nowhere and at the same time now you have this tour of duty sort of plan where people are taken in for a few years it becomes something like contract soldiers soldiers hiring soldiers on short term contract short term contracts yeah so why hasn't say this um, thing of improving the short service commission happened and why is this tour of duty not a feasible solution in a sense there's been a lot of criticism against the tour of duty scheme you know because it takes you get raw youngsters from the villages it takes several years to train them to become fully combat ready soldiers now if you start recruiting them only for 3 to 5 years then uh, there is criticism that they will hardly learn anything and won't be as well trained and equipped as the current soldiers are and lot of youngsters might not want to come into the armed forces only for 3 to 5 years 
they're looking for full-time employment with pension. They join army because of assured at least 14, 15 years as Jawans, 20 years, and then they become eligible for pension. Conversely, the army has always faced a shortage of uh, bright youngsters who want to join as officers. There's been this proposal to make the existing short service commission more attractive so that well-educated, good, bright youngsters come into the armed forces and then leave after completing, uh, completing their tenures of 10 to 14 years. But again, you'll have to give them some incentives to come and join as officers for uh, just about 10 to 14 years. They would require say, a lateral entry into Central Armed Police Forces. They would require uh, a golden handshake at the end of their tenures. It happens in a lot of other countries that after they finish their tenure, they get, uh, you know, uh, they get study leave. The army, or the, the military finances their studies, you know, probably an MBA, so that they can get into the corporate sector. So all these suggestions have been made over the years. But unfortunately, again, Short Service Commission has not been made attractive for enough youngsters to come and join. But where is this stuck then? Is it stuck at the political level? Is it stuck at the defense ministry level? It's stuck at the defense ministry level. Several proposals over the years have been made how to make it more attractive. But, you know, in a, in, a, in a democracy like India or any other country, ultimately, the political leadership has to take ownership of all these reforms. Because ultimately, they are the decision makers. Uh, the, uh, the armed forces can only submit proposals, then the government has to give the go-ahead. Lieutenant General Huda says he's very clear that a short-term scheme like a tour of duty can cut costs. But could come at the cost of professionalism. To illustrate the scheme's drawbacks, he points to the reports on the Russian army's struggle in Ukraine. So my views, uh, you know, are, are, are quite clear. See, a professional military force requires people who are trained, well-trained, who are motivated, and they have the will to fight. So you've seen armies around the world uh, moving away from a conscription model. Russia has still has conscription, but they've moved away from a large conscription force uh, to what they're saying, a more sort of, uh, more people on contract, they call them, but like a more permanent kind of uh, cadre. The human element in a professionalization of a military cannot be ignored. And somehow it's it's harder to understand because, you know, you can look at capability, you know, so many aircraft, so many ships, so many tanks. Uh, the human element is often ignored. Uh, but let's just look at the example of uh, the Russian army in Ukraine. And we are talking about uh, loss of morale. We're talking about conscripts not performing too well. Uh, and so, yes, there is a need to maybe shrink down the size of the, of the Indian army. But I think we have to clearly understand that just for cost saving, 
you should not sacrifice professionalization and so that is something you know that needs to be needs to be debated i think a little more uh, than is than is being done i think uh, we need to think through this tour of duty concept a little more but then the size of the indian army is one major issue that's always cited as a problem that um, a lot of the money meant for the army goes towards it then how do we handle that aspect of it to me is like a you know a little bit of a chicken and egg situation but let's look at uh, the challenges that the army faces so you have an ongoing challenge with pakistan uh, particularly along the line of control infiltration is happening uh, fortunately for the past one year we've had a ceasefire but otherwise there were massive exchanges of gunfire across the line of control uh the last two years have seen great trouble on the on the line of control uh, which has meant the deployment of additional soldiers we have seen realignment of forces from the western front to the northern front uh, we have an ongoing internal security problem in the northeast where soldiers are deployed and in jammu and kashmir where very large number of soldiers are are deployed we also have infrastructure problems along and all the borders because there is uh, lesser developed infrastructure you need to put more people on the ground to be able to see that the lac is strongly defended so these are these are the challenges that today the army faces and actually faces on a day to day basis not like the air force and the navy which are are doing more of training and operational preparedness for the army it's a day to day challenge the point you made is also right which is that uh, the manpower costs are hindering modernization and so therefore you are not able to modernize your forces but as i said it's it's like a chicken and egg situation you need boots on the ground and therefore it's hindering modernization uh, to modernize you either need more funds or you need to cut down troops i think in the short term the government will have to take a decision on should we give greater funds allow modernization which will allow a reduction and downsizing of of manpower otherwise uh, frankly concern uh, within the within the indian army is that we downsize will that impact our ability to perform our role and then will the government say you have not been able to perform your task to the extent that we wanted i mean after all uh, just look at this one little crisis in eastern ladakh and you are talking about 60000 50000 additional troops that have been pumped into that area so as i said there are really no easy answers As Rajat Pandit had said earlier, another major issue facing India's defence forces is the fact that it doesn't have a private sector that's contributing to it. He explains the importance of having the private industry involved in this sector, especially in the aspect of cyber security, which incidentally is also going forward slowly due to the absence of a chief of defence staff. You also mentioned about how the involvement of the private sector into the defence sector has not gone the way the government has planned or even maybe the way the private sector would have liked why is 
this such an issue in india uh see all over the world the cutting edge military technologies are produced by the private sector take boeing take lockheed martin take raytheon all the major global armament uh, companies are all private in india unfortunately the private sector was kept out of it till about 20 years ago it's not that the private sector is not entering into defense production it is but it needs to be given a special thrust because producing weapons cutting edge military technologies have a long gestation period they are capital intensive infrastructure has to be put in place if the private sector is not assured of repeat orders why will they spend so much money to set up an infrastructure for say to build submarine and then after six submarines you don't get any other orders what i am saying is the scale has to go up they have to be the prime uh, uh, producers in the defense sector and not the psus and uh, the ordnance factories cyber warfare is something again you've written about how it's something india needs to work on and it came to the fore more recently when russia invaded ukraine where do india's capability stand in this regard see everybody around the world knows that our it industry in the private sector is superb unfortunately it has not translated into the military domain a couple of years ago uh, the uh, the indian Dis- defense establishment created three small agencies tri service again they created small uh, tri service that means all the three services together uh, defense space agency defense cyber agency and the armed forces special operations division these are still fledgling small agencies what i would recommend in the years ahead they should be turned into full fledged commands us has a cyber command it has a um, space command it has a special operations command these things are needed for the wars of the future china has a huge capability uh, capability in cyber weapons even before the actual war starts it has the the capability to degrade or destroy you know an adversary's military assets strategic networks the banking grid the transportation grid the communication grid with pinpointed cyber attacks so we also need defensive as well as offensive cyber capabilities in the military domain again the private sector can play a big role in this given that our it sector uh, is doing well uh, is recognized across the world and has that been explored in any sense so far yeah there is there was a task force which went to look into all this but like again a cds would be needed to be the prime driver for all this you know as well uh, concentrate on the traditional land sea and air domains but also look at the new domains and the steps needed to take us forward 
Today's episode was produced by Jairaj Singh, Sunai Marathe and Anuja Singh. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We're available on TY+, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, email us at tuipodcast at timesinternet.in.